You're listening to Radio Influence. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, hey, everybody. Happy Friday, which is a Duffified Live day. Is everybody good? Are you guys all just chill now? I know we're getting a little bit bored. We're getting a little bit of cabin fever. I love. I am absolutely loving the creativity that I'm starting to see or have seen for the last three weeks. We're walking into week four, I think, right now, or week five of this whole thing that's been going on, and people dying and people getting sick and masks and gloves and more to go food and than, than we've ever seen. You know, we are, we're, I, I feel bad because I still use styrofoam in my place because it's what we have. You know, we do so much to go and, uh, but we're literally just kind of killing the environment on a daily basis, uh, because of the amount of to go food that we have going out there right now. But I'm going to tell you what, I, I read this really cool article. Um, I think it was in National Geographic the other day that was talking about the fact that these, uh, geologists and, People that work uh, in in on the earth, you know, and studying the earth and everything else are saying that they're actually hearing things that they have never heard before because of the fact that they were muted by the motion and everything that was happening on up on the up on the earth, on the ground, on the crust of the earth, Um you know, with the amount of cars and people walking and the amount of movement that was always happening, they they were unable to hear certain things. And they're now hearing more of what's happening on inner earth than they ever have before. So I think it's kind of cool uh, to take that whole concept of, you know, we're learning something from people slowing down a little bit. And I, I think it's it's look, I know that this sucks. I know it sucks from business, from a business standpoint, from a social standpoint, from from so many different areas. I mean, especially the business, for God's sakes, the amount of people that are unemployed. I think we have 13 million people right now or something like that. You know, the unemployment op, uh, in hospitality and the the downline of the supply chain that's happening with all of that. You know, there's a lot that's going on. I'm starting to see a tremendous amount of food waste that's happening out there. Um, you know, they interviewed Danny Myers uh, on 60 Minutes the other day, and he had a really brilliant kind of kind of thought, you know, a brilliant uh, a process of what he was talking about with what are the farmers going to be planting for next year? You know, are we going to have enough food? Because we've slowed down so much at this point right now that farmers are actually throwing food away because people aren't buying what they need. You know, you think about the simple idea of a zucchini. You know, I mean, a zucchini, if you've got the world, you know, pumping along, you know, I mean, they're going through millions upon millions upon millions of pounds of that on a daily basis, you know, weekly basis. Now we've shut down 80% of our restaurants. Restaurants that would normally be buying zucchini, which I'm not a zucchini guy. I'll let you know that right off the bat. I'm not a zucchini guy. I hate seeing it as a vegetable. I'll do like some fried zucchini or something like that, play around with it a little bit, but I'm not a zucchini guy. 
um, in restaurants because I think it's overused. So maybe that was a bad example, but I'm going to run with it anyway, just to give you the idea. But I mean, think about that. 80% of restaurants are closed. So who's buying the food that we've got out there now? So now we're seeing purveyors starting to show up in this weird way where they were once serving just restaurants. Now they're doing home delivery. You know, my company that I've been working with for a while, Chef's Warehouse, is now doing home fucking delivery of the same product that I would buy in the restaurant. And they're delivering it to somebody's house, you know? which is great and it's brilliant at the same time because of the way to adapt to the business and kind of react to business and what's going on, trying to have some form of forward mobility with what they're doing because they've got drivers, they've got sales reps. You know, the the first week of all of this, I was talking to my rep and he was telling me that he, he on a normal Friday, he was having a, you know, having deliverables of up to $30,000, you know, just on a Friday alone. That's what he was billing out. But now he had $300 two weeks ago, $300 went out, you know, I mean, that's 1% of what it is that he was doing the week before on that Friday. That's pretty insane, man. But but I think one of the cool things that we're seeing come out of this is that I think people are finally slowing down a little bit. And I think this was a really good thing to say, look, it sucks that people are dying. Don't get me wrong. It sucks that people are dying. It sucks that that our politicians were fighting for months and years and, and decades before this. But we have this slowdown. We have a slowdown of the entire earth where people are starting to focus a little bit more on their families, on the friendships, who their real friends are. You know, I think that, yeah, we're spending more time on some of the social media stuff with kids and, and all of that, but I think that we're finding it as a, almost a peaceful way. You know, people aren't buying as much. People have slowed down. The abundance has kind of cleared a little bit. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to talk to my guest who I have for this week because he's a pretty slowed down dude. Yeah, he's full on in the culinary industry. He's a chef. He's working. Um, you know, he's been uh, in the industry for a while from graduation of culinary school, moving into what he what it is that he's doing now. But there's a slowdown of that because of what it is that he's doing. And he's a pasta chef. You know, he got hired by a company out in uh, Pittsburgh to come in and take over or start a pasta program for them, um, which is a great idea. I love what it is that he's doing. So, so this week's episode is a little bit more slowed down. We're going to chat a little bit more um, and we're going to talk about some kind of cool stuff, the history of a chef and what it takes, you know, for this guy who, who started out at a young age, excuse me, this is a cough because I have something in my throat that's about to happen, not the Corona. <coughs> Sorry, it's something in my throat there. It was not Corona, just so everybody knows. Um, and I don't have a mask on because I'm in my house, but we're good. Uh, so, so yeah. So everybody, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to to get ready to sit down and and listen to a a good conversation. A young chef who's making a mark on his on himself and doing something that's really pretty cool. So everybody, do me a favor and welcome to Duffified Live, Chef Ryan Peters. Good morning, Chef. What's going on, brother? What's up, brother? How are you, man? Uh, you know, another crazy day in Pennsylvania in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, man. It's getting pretty crazy. Yeah. What, uh, what's going on with you, man? What's going on out there? 
it's, you know, we're trying to keep business as usual, trying to keep life as normal as we can, but I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's definitely not normal. That's for sure. So what are you guys doing? Well, first off, let's do this. Why don't you tell us who you are, what you do and how people can get in contact with you? For sure. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Peters. I'm currently the pasta chef at a restaurant here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's called Ironborn Pizza. Uh, so we kind of focus on um, Detroit style pizza. And then I was kind of brought onto the team a few months back to kind of develop a pasta program to to kind of go with the pizza program and, and kind of kind of keep that going. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Um, kind of best way to connect with me is definitely via Instagram uh, at Ryan Peters PGH on Instagram. And uh, yeah. So have you seen uh, have you seen the new show Shape of Pasta? I have not. I saw it just I think it just released today, right? Yeah, that's how my brother's created that show with uh, really Ryan Funk. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. no way. Yeah, so yeah, he's, cool. I mean, he's definitely of, one of stuff, so. he's definitely one of the pasta makers that I definitely look up to. He's I mean, he's incredible. So I definitely need to watch it. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's a badass dude. Yeah. Seeing some of the pretty cool stuff that he's come up with. Yeah. Um, so what are you so ha, what what brought you like what's where's your background come from that you kind of ended up now that you're working into a pasta world? Uh, you know, man, so far, I mean, so I'll start it with, I'm definitely, I'm definitely young. Um, I'm 26 years old. Um, so I'm definitely young right. in my career, but my career so far has definitely gone a few different ways and it's kind of taken a few different roads to get where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've kind of ended now with pasta and that's kind of what I'm focusing on. But in the beginning, it was definitely not pasta focused. It was definitely, you know, like many young cooks and chefs are trying to just figure out, you know, their lane in this industry because it's definitely, you know, a difficult thing to figure out. And I'm luckily, luckily now I'm happy with doing pasta and who knows that could change in five years. You know, this, this industry is so fluid, Sure. Um, but it's definitely been difficult trying to find that thing that, you know, makes you happy doing what you're doing every day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. That's for sure. <laughs> so where did you, I mean, how did you end up getting like, like what brought you into the culinary or restaurant world anyway? Um, so that's like, I feel like that's like the number one question people ask me is like, what made you start cooking? Was it, you know, sitting in the yeah. kitchen as a five-year-old with your grandmother? And I don't really have that story. It just kind of ever since I was a very young child though, um, you know, being a chef was always what I wanted to do. My mom likes to brag that she's got the, you know, the things from second grade of me drawing a picture of a chef when I was asked what my, what I wanted to be when I was older. And she, you know, still has that <laughs> picture. Uh, so it's kind of been right. something I've just always really wanted to do. And luckily for me, I've kept through that all through, you know, high school and college. So, you know, in high school, I, you know, started jobs as a dishwasher and, and moved up to like line cook and stuff during high school. Um, and then from there went on to culinary school. Um, I went to Indiana university of Pennsylvania. They've got a very, very small culinary school in Punxsutawney. Um, they have a good program that, out there though. They do. It's, I think it's, it's really yeah. one of the premier, I think it's, you know, it's only a one year program. Um, which for me, that's kind of what I was looking for out of culinary school was, you know, just something to get me the foundations and those building blocks. Um, and then just to get out in the, into the industry and, and start working and getting that firsthand experience. Um, 
So for me, that really proved to be the best program. What did you, you know, we all have, anybody who's gone to school, I think pulls something out of school, whether it be a two-year program, a one-year program, a four-year program. Sure. They're all, like anybody that I talk to that has gone to culinary school has something that they pull out. What is one thing that you feel that you, well, it doesn't even just have to be one thing. We're in no hurry here. So like what's something that you pulled out of culinary school that you feel was one of the most important things or something that you remember more than anything else? Um, I, I mean, I think really for me, the, the thing that I got out of culinary school that I think helped me when I first got into the industry was just, um, you know, those, it really, I think it was just the basics of, you know, you know, proper knife skills and proper, you know, sauce developments and like just proper techniques of how to braise a piece of meat properly. Cause you know, versus, you know, when I went on my externship and there was, you know, cooks starting, that had no experience. And then, you know, the chef has to teach these things and that's great. That's what the chef is, is there to do. But versus them having to spend an hour with that person showing them versus five minutes, just telling me, you know, what needs to be done. And I know how to do a proper braise or I know how to make a, a burr blanc. So I think, you know, just having those, those building blocks, um, from culinary school were, were the biggest assets. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, I, I always talk about the fact that I use something that I learned in culinary school every single day, whether it be a knife skill, whether it be a technique, whether it be breaking down a recipe or costing a recipe or yeah. something to that effect. Like, it's a daily basis yep. you know, and there's not a lot of people out there that are in, in, in any industry that can say, oh, well, I use that every day. Maybe exactly. like psychology or medicine or stuff like that. But I mean, the basics of, of, you know, of what we do is, is so important. Like that 100%. first three months of culinary school yeah. is so massive. You know, yeah. from the, from, from, from how to hold a knife and what to cut and how to break things down. And you're right, moving into sauces and, and that sort of stuff. It's so, I, I think that it's the difference that kind of moves you forward. Yeah. Not, I mean, that going, not, not that if you didn't go to school, look, I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. I have a lot of great chefs that I've worked with who just never went to school, but there's sure. something to be said about the fact that we get to utilize something that we learned in school every single day and in a full hands-on application. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, like you said, those first three months of culinary school, there's just, there's so much information that they, they just push on you and so many things you learn. And I feel like you don't even realize some of those things that you're taking with you. And then, like you said, now you're using every single day. Yeah. I mean, I remember my first proficiency the first proficiency that i had at school was the knife proficiency and sure. i remember being and i was like what was i fucking 20 years old like nervous as shit yeah like am i gonna be able to do a julienne what if i don't make a batonette <laughs> fuck am i gonna miss up the brunoise what's a jardinier jesus christ like you know yeah. I mean, it's 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 like it never it just i remember that i remember that anxiety of walking into that day yeah, you know, guys. Now I you cheated. look back on it and now like, laugh. Well, now I just have fun. I mean, I'm honestly in like this whole week. Uh, one of the greatest things that's happened over the last couple of weeks is the fact that I've been back in the kitchen. Sure. You know, rather than just a day here, or, you know, once or twice a month. I mean, you know, I'm opening, I'm closing. 
You know, I mean, I'm fabricating. We're breaking down. We're doing every single thing. You know, I'm teaching my guys now full-blown fabrication of breaking down chickens, breaking down spare ribs. That's great. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to start making sausage in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I mean, I'm really trying to show these guys the way that we do stuff. But uh, I, I was I woke up this morning and I kind of reached over. And one of the first things I do when I wake up is I kind of stretch and, you know, I kind of crack my knuckles. And I was like, yeah, motherfucker, there's my callus again. <laughs> I missed you, man. I missed you. And, you know, you're holding the knife the right way based yep. on the fact that that callus is there. And, I, and one of my like I have a 15 year old kid in the kitchen right now who is uh he's like oh chef i don't know man he's like my hand's really hurting me my hand's really hurting me and i walk over i was like yeah we got you covered now <laughs> you know you got you got a callus brother go get some band-aids put that yep. on there yep so what is i mean what kind of uh, other than that idea of of you like the whole way through what what put the idea of being a chef into your brain at that young age i mean was somebody else in your family a chef were you because you're 26 yep so, I mean, even even TV part, I guess you kind of grew up so I, really with Emerald starting and yeah, yeah. moving Emerald forward. Live was, I miss Emerald Live, man. Because what was that? Uh, 90, <laughs> when were you born? What year? I was 93. Okay, so 93. So I graduated in culinary school in 93. Okay. And then two years later, so 95, 96 – was really that first stepping stone of chefs that were like on TV, other than Julia Child, Jacques Pepin, Martin Yan, you know, yeah. the Galloping Gourmet, like all those guys. Yeah, they were out there, but not to this level. I sure. Mean, so I guess it's kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah. You I mean, literally grew up there. You didn't know anything different. Yeah. I, I didn't have anyone in my family either that was a chef or in restaurants or anything. Um, you know, my mom, she always cooked and everything. And, and my grandparents were uh, definitely big in the kitchen as well. But it's not like I had someone, you know, to look up to that was like an aunt or an uncle that was a chef in a restaurant or anything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it could have just been, you know, seeing Emerald on TV one day and that just image sticking in my mind. But, yeah, it's just it's been there forever as, as long as I can remember. So what did you where now you went to school one year program. I mean, how intense is a one year program? I mean, so, I know that like the two that I took was pretty nuts, but how intense was your one year? Yeah. So it was very intense. It was basically one year full round. We had like a week off for Christmas, um, and like a few days off for Thanksgiving and, and Easter. But besides that, it was August to August, Monday through Friday, um, eight to 10 hours every day. Um, and it was very, very, you know, lectures every day, kitchen labs every single day. Um, it was intense. But again, that's what I was really looking for out of culinary school. I wasn't looking to go to, um, you know, a four-year culinary program and have, you know, all the academic classes and have all the, the partying and all that stuff. I was, you know, very driven. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew just, you know, what I, what I needed to do to get, you know, to where I wanted to be. And so were, did you guys have externships at that point? Were yeah, you guys, we did. Were you guys were you working in a restaurant at that point? So the way that, that their program works is it basically is, is you go for one year and then you don't graduate yet. You basically then have to go on about a six-month externship um, after you complete your year and then you graduate. 
So basically about, you know, three quarters of the way into the program, um, they do a really nice job of kind of doing like almost like a job externship fair. Um, and throughout, like, a, it's like the whole month of April, actually, they, uh, they fly in a bunch of different externship sites, um, for interviews. Wow. Um, so you basically, you learn how to, you know, write a resume and a cover letter and interview properly. Um, but you're actually interviewing for a real job. Um, and so you're able to select, you know, what externship sites you want to interview with. And, you know, their, their chefs are there, their HR directors. And, um, you know, you can kind of pick which sites interest you or suit you, um, interview with them. And then if, if they, if your needs fit what, what they're looking for and what you're looking for, then, you know, they might make an offer to you and then you can kind of go from there. So, uh, when I was interviewing, I interviewed with a few places. Um, I was very, very fortunate. I got offers from all three places that I interviewed with, um, and ended up, you know, deciding on a private club in, uh, Key Largo, Florida called the ocean reef club. Um, yeah. (laughs) So when I graduated culinary school, yeah, I was heading down to, uh, I was a bouncer at a bar and I was heading down to Key Largo no to go way. and interview at the Ocean Reef Club. No way. And I ended up blowing the interview off because a girl walked up the front steps of the bar where I was bouncing, which was this huge nightclub in Pennsylvania, in Devon, Pennsylvania. She never yeah. ID. And she's like, you know what? I don't even, it was the night before Thanksgiving. And I was graduating on December 3rd, I think. Yeah. And, I, and she's, like, I, she's like, I don't even have I don't my D. She's like, you know what? I don't even give a shit. My parents just bought a bar in Key Largo, Florida. And I'm <laughs> flying down there tomorrow or bought a restaurant in Key Largo, Florida. And it's Snooks Bayside. Wow. Did you ever, huh. did yeah, you ever make it down to Snooks? Snooks? Many times. So there you go, dude. They're a Pennsylvania family as well. Wow. Yeah, Ronnie and uh, and Jen Hammer. They're the they're the they're the owners of the property. Wow. So I graduated culinary school on December third and or December sixth and December 9th, I was living in Key Largo. Wow. Now, Small granted, house. you were just being born. <laughs> so let's let's back that part out of the conversation. Right. But dude, that's fucked up. So did you live it did you live on Ocean Reef's property? Yep. Yeah, I did. So they had employee housing there, kind of like dorm style. Um yeah. you know, very, very cheap. Um so yeah, I lived on property there and, and did a six month externship. So basically one full season. It was a seasonal, you know, um property. Uh and completed one season there. And now, so I want to, I want to go, I want to back in, I want to go back to this a little bit. Sure. Because I, because I completely blew that off. Like I had an interview set up. This is fucked up. But I had an interview (laughs) set up full nine yards and I, I, Lando, because I was dating a girl who lived in Orlando at that point. And she's like, oh, take my car, come to Orlando. And then you can just drive down to Key Largo. And I'm like, oh, well that makes fucking sense. I mean, I was 20, whatever. But I, uh, but I got into Orlando, and she uh, didn't have brakes on her car, so I couldn't go to the interview. So I literally – I don't even think I called them. I just blew <laughs> the interview off, and I was talking to this girl in Key Largo, and she was like, well, just come down here, and, and you can work with us. I interviewed with the chef over the phone. They offered me a job. I was a sous chef down there. I was making $425 a week. Huh. 
Wow. That's the sous chef at the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, uh, dude, that's Jeez. so weird. That's wild. Key Largo. So what did they, and one of the things that I found out about Ocean Reef is that they charged you basically room and board to live there. Yep. So how much did you have to pay to live on quote unquote campus? Uh, it was, it was very, very cheap. I, f- I remember it was like 60 or $70 a week. Wow. It was more expensive when I was in school and that was when you were, you know, I mean, that was 26 yeah. years ago. <clears throat> yeah. 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 It was a, uh, it was a good deal. And now, I mean, how was that for you? Did you, uh, I mean, what, like I always say to people when I interview them, if you could take anything away from that job, be good, we'll do this one good, one bad. What is the good thing that you really pulled out of that job? Or that so, extra you know, it was a really, really interesting externship. So basically how they, how they do their thing down there, their program for externs is since it's such a large property and they have so many different restaurants and food outlets, um, they basically rotate you through every single food outlet for one week. Wow. So one week you're in the, you know, the, the, you know, like the burger shack on the beach, the next week you're in the fine dining restaurant, the next week you're in the Italian restaurant. And then after you rotate through, that's what a great concept. It's a really of, good of an concept. Extension. Yeah. So then after you yeah. rotate through everything, then you get to decide where you want to do the remainder of your externship. Um, and so after I rotated through, um, I couldn't really decide what, what restaurant or outlet I wanted to be in. Um, so I leaned on some of my chefs from culinary school and reached out to them for some advice. Um, and a lot of them really gave me the advice of, you know, ocean reef has, you know, in the private club world, one of the best, uh, banquet operations out there. Um, and so they kind of said, listen, if you have the opportunity to work banquets and learn how to run, you know, catering and banquets, take that opportunity now because it's much easier to go from banquet kitchen to a restaurant kitchen versus restaurant cooking to banquet cooking. He said, so if you can learn how to cook for 2000 people, take that now because you're going to learn mass mass cooking, but you're also going to learn efficiency and, and all kinds of skills. So, uh, what great advice. It was incredible advice and I'm still thankful for that advice. advice. That's all, you know, I I use those skills every single day still. So I took that advice and, uh, did, did the banquet kitchen for the rest of my externship and really got to, you know, see a bunch of things, meet some incredible, incredible chefs that, you know, came there for demos and, and, you know, you know, guest events. Um, you know, so that was definitely the, the, the biggest thing I pulled away. And honestly, the, the worst thing, I can't even think of anything because as a 20 year old living in Key Largo, uh, um, you know, making good money, uh, uh, you know, living in the keys, there, there really wasn't, really wasn't a negative at the time. Yeah, sure. Now, were you guys, I, were you guys allowed off of the, off of the resort? Yep. Yep. We could leave. I, mean, I know that's want. a I weird mean, question. Yeah. So a lot of people, like a lot of the externs and even just employees in general didn't have cars. Um, so if you didn't have a car, you were kind of stuck. Uh, luckily I brought my right. car with me from Pennsylvania. Um, so nice. I had a car, so uh, I was able to, you know, drive up to Miami for the day or go to Key West for the day. So it was definitely, I could, I could, yeah. you know, get around and have some fun. Did you guys ever go to the Caribbean club? <laughs> many times, many times. Dude, so the crib, on, man. That- when I, when I was there though, on my externship, I wasn't 21 yet. 
Um, wow. so they let me in a few times depending who was, who was working. Um, but then, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it here in a little bit. I, I went back to ocean reef a few years later when I was 21 and definitely was at the, oh, cool. the Caribbean club quite a few times. So the owner of that was, uh, he was a songwriter for Leonard Skinner. No way. Yes. Really? And the first night that I walked into that bar, I was with, I've actually got two really good stories for you from that place. The first night I walked in, uh, my roommate and I, his name, so the girl that I met at the bar who was the, who was, who was, who didn't have her ID. Sure. Who I wouldn't let into the bar. Obviously I let her in later on, but, uh, her, I lived with her and another dude from Philly, and I slept on the couch for like my first probably three months down there. And then he and I got a place over in uh, Pirates Cove. Okay. On Captain Morgan Drive. Yeah. So the first night we go into the bar, we sit down, and I was like just out of culinary school. You know, I was 21 years old. I had, I, I mean, at, at that point we had to shave in school. So I didn't have yep. a beard. Yeah. I had nothing. I had no stubble. I had like a clean cut haircut because I wore toques for two years, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I walk in and we sit down and this guy walks over and he's like, are you guys cops? <laughs> like, uh, no. And he's like, because you're making all, I will never forget this. You're making all the fuzzy face people in here real fucking nervous <laughs> right now. And I was like, no, man, I'm a cook. I'm a sous chef down at the ocean. Re and they're like, oh, you know, Ron? Like, and then that was it. Like, we were all super cool. Wow. But that place was awesome, man. That was a great yeah. bar. It was a great they bar. They filmed the, the, the movie Key Largo there. Yep. Yeah, it's a great bar. With, who was that? Jimmy Stewart? I don't know. But it's a weird area. It is. And I'm sure that the 20, you know, the, the, the difference of when you were there compared to when I was there, must it was massive. Because oh, when I was down there, there were 2,500 hotel rooms in the town of Key Largo or within the, the city limits of Key Largo. And there yeah. were 25,000 campground spaces. Yeah. Yep. So that's wild. So... So you, so you left and then how long after you left, were you back down there? Like, what did you do once you left your externship? So when I finished externship, um, you know, they offered me a job to stay, uh, which I ended up passing up because my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, um, she was living in Pittsburgh and I wanted to be closer to her and I kind of wanted to change anyway. I kind of wanted to see a new city, um, so I moved up to Pittsburgh uh, and took a job at a restaurant called Salt of the Earth, which is no longer opened. Um, but at the time in Pittsburgh, this was probably five or six years ago. Uh, it was really the hottest restaurant in the town. Um, it had been James right. Beard nominated. Uh, it was really, really doing some cool stuff. So I got a job there. It's just kind of like a garmage cook um, and spent about a year and a half there kind of working my way up to lead line cook um, and really, really just an incredible job. Great year and a half. Um, but towards the end, um, you know, the, the chef ended up moving on and I just felt, you know, things at the restaurant were kind of changing and, you know, I could, I mean, thankfully I left when I did cause now they're closed. They closed shortly after, but um, so I, I decided it was time to leave and, 
mind you, probably about six months after I left my externship, the chefs down at the reef, I mean, it felt like they were calling me every single week trying to get me back, um, which was a good feeling. That was great. And so, so finally, you know, when I decided it was time to leave salt, um, when that call came one of these weeks, I said, well, listen, my girlfriend, she needs a job. Uh, she's, she's in baking and pastry. I said, if you give her a job in the bake shop, we'll come. And so they just took my word that she was going to be decent uh, <laughs> Dude, awesome. or anything. And they said, okay. So it. we, uh, we decided to head back down there. Um, and this time though, when I, when I moved back there, um, I worked in the banquet kitchen again, um, got hired on as a cook too, which is kind of like medium level. Um, but right when I moved down there, I, I called for a meeting with the executive chef team and kind of said, listen, I understand that I'm a cook too. I would like to be a sous chef at this resort. I want to work with you guys. Let me know what I need to do to get there. Um, what can you guys do for me to help me get there? And within three months, I got promoted to cook one. And then within six months, I was promoted to sous chef um, at 21 years old. So I was now a sous chef of, you know, a $20 million, you know, kitchen, not resort, but just of one kitchen with, you know, 45 employees underneath me. Um, So it was definitely a a really, really big learning curve. Um, I, you know, one day was cooking next to some of my friends and the next day I'm their boss. Um, I lost friendships, you know, it, it definitely, you know, showed some true colors of some people, which it sucked, but, uh, luckily my, my like executive banquet chef, he was a really great mentor to me and was able to help me, you know, learn how to manage people, understand that every person needs to be managed differently. Um, and so it was, it was a really, really great learning experience. Right. Dude, that's awesome, man. I mean, I never... You know, I mean, after all the years that I had heard about Ocean Reef and different, you know, I've heard different stories from different people about the the operation, about the employees that are down there, kind of, sure. you know, I mean, uh, with a lot of that. And it's so, it's actually refreshing to hear, you know, something like that, that you yeah. made such a lasting impression on them that they were calling you like, come on back, come on back. You know, I mean, and then they, you know, sight unseen in reality, which doesn't matter sight unseen, but you know, all right, cool. We'll bring your girlfriend down as well. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a great program and that's, that's impressive. I'm really, I'm really, that's really cool to hear. I like, yeah, it, it was, it was really great. So sorry that I fucked then, you over ocean reef. And never showed up. <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So then when I was down there, we stayed down there for about three years. Um, and I was just kind of working in the banquet awesome. kitchen the whole time. Um, you know, getting to meet all kinds of different, you know, guest chefs that came in, celebrity chefs that came in, um, you know, got to cook with Emeril dozens of times. He was a member down there and he would do, you know, charity dinners every year. Um, so all kinds of cool stuff I was able to do. And it was also great because since it was seasonal, um, I didn't have the summers off, but the workload was definitely less. So I was able to you know, travel and, you know, go stage at different restaurants and just kind of do different competitions and really push myself out so outside of just normal everyday work. Right. That's pretty wild, man. Were you living on the property at that? I mean, is, or were you outside of the property? I mean, you were there for three years. So, yeah. So when we moved down there, they let us live on property for, um, about a year. Um, and then hmm. at that point, 
they don't kick you off, but they kind of highly encourage you to seek housing elsewhere. Um, yeah, so out. we ended up, yeah, we ended up uh, finding a place, uh, a really, really beautiful home, Bayside, right on the water. Um, and, you know, it was, it was an incredible view every night. We had the sunset every night. So it was much better than employee housing anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the water every day down there. Yeah, you can't I mean, every be. single day, no matter what it was. I mean, it was just a constant. I mean, just with with with. I mean, it's a part of life down there. Yeah, you know. Yep. I mean, it's a huge part. And I was never a diver, but I was a snorkel guy. Yeah, and I used to go in the water every day, man. We lived in Cap. Seriously, what was it? Captain Morgan Drive. <laughs> I love Pirates it. Pirates Cove. We used That's to have great. to go past. Uh, uh, there was a Miami Subs like just to the right of the property. And then there was something I remember there's like a fast food place in the middle of the highway before we got down there, which only like two or three miles away. But yeah, uh, it was a neat experience. I mean, it's a cool look. If you think about it, it's a cool area to be in. If you it have is. the right experiences, it is. You know, I mean, I dealt with all the derelicts and we had a lot of, you know, it was, it was a, it was a rude awakening for me because I got down there from the four seasons so yeah, I graduated culinary yeah. school. I was doing my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons for a year in Philly with Jean-Marie Lacroix, who's like, you know, the godfather of kitchen yeah. in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and the next thing you know, I'm working with dickhead Jay Anderson, <laughs> who's throwing potatoes at servers, yeah. who's yeah. burning himself and taking full shots of ginseng, like pure ginseng extract. He bought me Hobie sunglasses. I'll never forget this. And he handed them to him and he's like, you better wear these unless you want to go fucking blind. <laughs> I was like, All right, dude. All right. Oh, like I left this pristine kitchen world too. He used to burn the backs of my arms with saute pans. Oh, I'd be like, great. that's going to leave a fucking mark tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. He, he was an asshole. Jeez. Oh man. He was an asshole, but we did, we pulled one thing from him, which was every, when I got back from, from Key Largo, Every Saturday, I would have a crawfish brought in from my fish purveyor, and we would do a crawfish boil for lunch. Oh, yeah. Staff. Because every cool. Friday night, his mother would do a crawfish boil. She lived in, in New Orleans, and she would ship a full boil in a styrofoam container in a plastic bag over, which was, and it was still fucking hot when we got it, dude. Wow. Like we would just open it Jeez. up and steam would just come popping out of the bag. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild. We did some we had some cool shit down there. It was That's a neat cool. area. I gotta get back yeah. down there. Now I'm all yeah, nostalgic. You yeah, you did. Jesus. All right. So you're down there for three years. During this time, you're staging, you're working your butt off for six months out of the year. You're you have the ability for that other six months to kind of work and travel and do some other cool stuff at the same time. So yeah. where did you come where did you go after that? Uh after the three years. Yeah. Uh, so kind of towards the end of the three years, we were deciding on, you know, where to go next and what we wanted to do next for us. And, um, we were kind of looking at a few different cities. Um, we really were very, very close to moving to Chicago. Um, but then ended up, um, I found out about, you know, a food hall in Pittsburgh, uh, that was kind of, kind of marketed as like an almost like a restaurant incubator. Um, basically yeah. almost every year Great to year concept. and a half, they, they rotate out four new restaurants, um, kind of very low start startup costs. You know, the build out is already done. You just kind of move in with your concept and your staff and your food. 
Um, and so I ended up applying for that and I got offered a, you know, a spot in there, um, and decided to take that. So basically we moved to Pittsburgh, uh, and I opened up my own restaurant. Uh, it was called Brunois. It was kind of my, my concept was kind of fine dining meets fast casual. Um, and I was there for one year and kind of got to learn how to run a business and how to, you know, just operate efficiently and, and, you know, financially sound. Super tight um, quarters. Yeah, very tight. It was a 140 square foot kitchen that I had. Um, we had a shared walk-in between four restaurants and a bar. But yeah, I had 140 square feet that I was able to work inside of. And that's where we met because that's where Chad and I had yep. lunch that day. Yep, yeah, exactly. Chad Rosenthal and I came out and had lunch that day. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so now the idea behind that, it was, it was an incubator. It was an opportunity for you, for young chefs to get in and basically have a one-year lease for you guys to operate your business and really kind of pimp yourself out to possible investors to get you exactly. set up and ready to rock and roll to open up a brick and mortar. Exactly. Yeah. And basically test your concept out, see if, you know, how it does with, with the public, what the response is, see if it is something that you want to pursue or if it's, you need to, you know, do a 180 and try something different. It really it was like a testing ground. Yeah. It was neat. And the food was good. I mean, we enjoy, I remember we enjoyed ourselves. I think the bar was closed that day or something. May have been. Yeah. May yeah. Been. But we came in, we had, we had, we had good food. It was, uh, uh, it was a neat, it was a it was a cool concept, and yeah. I've actually offered. There's a place in uh, out in Kennett Square that had reached out to me to do some consulting for them, and and they had shown me their space, and I was like, "You guys need to do an incubator kitchen. You guys need to do a concept with five or six different restaurants, yeah. thirteen month. You know, basically, you know, they write an essay, they kind of get in, they show you their business plan of what they want to do." why they want to come in and give it an opportunity. I don't know if they ever ended up wore that working out for them. We, I, I, I did my consultation and then moved on, you know, yeah. and I don't even know whatever happened with them. I'll have yeah. to check in on them. Huh? Mm. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know what it's, uh, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine about having you on today and I was telling him that, uh, you know, you're, you're doing pasta and all that stuff. And he's like, what a weird thing to get into is just to be that focused on one concept. And I'm like, but if you think about it, it's really limitless. Yes. One, because of sauces and styles and a country, a, you know, accoutrement and, and accompaniments to every single dish and how you can play. You can literally go anywhere with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from shape to sauce to protein. Yeah. It's, you go, it's. It's endless and there's just so much tradition, tradition rooted in it that, you know, you can just dive down, you know, just one shape and learn all about that shape. And then you go to another region of Italy to learn about that shape and they do it a little bit differently and call it a different name. And it's, it's wild. Yeah. What is your, so what's your favorite pasta to work uh, with any of them? What would be, which is really fucked up. Quite, that's like a total rookie question. That's the tough. But, I mean, that's the, definitely the, I mean, a question I get asked a lot and it's hard to, it's hard to answer because, you know, one day, you know, tonight, if I make tagliatelle, I'm going to say that's my favorite right now. Cause I'm eating that and it's delicious. And then sure. tomorrow I make agnolotti or, you know, anything. Um, so it's, it's really hard to pick a favorite, you know, there's just so many really great shapes and, and styles. Um, and I'm still learning so many of them too. You know, I'm, I'm not, 
by any means, you know, the best at this or a master at this. I'm learning it every single day. I'm practicing it every single day to get better. So it's just, it's a constant, constant right. learning game and, and trying to get better. What, I mean, how, so how often are you, are you rotating a menu? Um, so since, you know, we've only been open at Ironborn for about, we've been open since December. So, um, you know, we were open for a little bit and then this whole pandemic happened. So we've had to kind of halt, halt some things, but so we've been open for a few months and we had an opening menu and then we were getting ready, you know, about a month ago to launch a new menu for the pasta program. Um, and obviously we had to stop that. Um, but when we were open, I was kind of rotating out a few different shapes. Whenever I would want to try a new shape, I could just try that run it as a special. Um, but with what we're doing at the restaurant, we're just doing extruded pasta right now. So basically just flour and water, um, using an extruder. Um, but then at home I do a lot of, you know, egg doughs, more traditional pastas, uh, just kind of in my off time. Um, you know, there was a time I like to tell people probably about a year ago when I started getting very, very into pasta, I think I went 64 days, um, basically every night when I would come home from work, I would make a pound of pasta every single night. Um, and really just trying to, to learn it and to, you know, get proficient in it and, you know, kind of get those, those muscle memories of working the dough and kneading it properly and, you know, tweaking my recipe, you know, by a few grams here or a few grams there just to get it to where I want it to be. Um, so that was fun. I definitely became, you know, a little obsessive over it. Um, I'm definitely not making that much every single day now because I've got other priorities and things that I'm doing, but definitely still making it a lot at home um, and just trying to to get better at it. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Because I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who I like to, I like to have a whole lot of knowledge about a bunch of different things. Sure. You know, and, and it's funny because pasta, I've really, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the comfort of being home as much as I have been in the last three to four weeks. The fact that I have a 19 year old, my daughter's 19. I mean, she lives, you know, I just picked her up from school last week and brought her home from Florida, mm. you know, with her being home and her, her, the staple of her diet is fucking pasta. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's a natural for her, you know I mean? Every, I'm like, what do you want to do for dinner? Let's get pasta. Can yeah. I make pasta? Make pasta. You know, I mean, it's, you know, even even in the restaurant, I mean, we use Ditalini for our mac and cheese. You know, sure. we try to st- we try to utilize kind of fun, different shapes for different things. You know, I mean, everybody's doing a cavatappi or something to that effect yep. with it. But there's something about a Ditalini that I just love the way that I it holds it. the pot, the holds the, the mac sauce, the way that it it's a denser, you know, you're actually getting more bang for your buck. Yep. You know, I charge six dollars for a small side of mac and cheese. I got to give you wow. six dollars worth of fucking pasta. Oh yeah. You know? So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan, and 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 I actually I bought a roller yesterday. Yeah. I lost That's my cool. old one. So yeah. I'm so I'm pretty stoked. The old school countertop. I'm ready to go. You know, my grandmother had hers. My sister has that. So um, we're actually going to start doing it a lot more at home because it's a one. It's a great project. It is. You know, yeah. and it's a great teaching tool for people to kind of get into and play and, and do all that. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But I mean, my daughter came home the other night. I walked, got in the home from the restaurant at 10 o'clock and I'm like, shit, we didn't even eat today. And she's like, it's cool. She's like, I made Iolia. Like, <laughs> awesome. that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So, so how are, where are you guys right now within, you know, I mean, in the midst of this whole thing. So, so in the midst of a pandemic, I mean, you guys just opened up a couple months ago, you guys are just starting to get rocking and rolling and then boom, now you got to shut your doors, close down, become a to go restaurant. You know, you've got to do all these things as fast as possible. Where are you guys right now with your spot? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been very, very interesting. Um, you know, unfortunately a lot of the staff had to be laid off. Um, you know, but thankfully for us, you know, pizza, especially, you know, a lot of our business is pizza, the Detroit style pizza. And so pizza in its natural form is, you know, very to go take out accessible, um, delivery is, is very easy to do with it. So we were able to pivot very easily, um, and do keep doing pizza to go. And then I was able to develop, you know, some, you know, like take and bake options for pasta kind of, you take it home, just pop it in your oven. There's, you know, cooking instructions, you know, taped on top of it. Um, so we have that option as well. Um, and we just had to really kind of make things as efficient for us in the kitchen as we can with such a limited staff um, to make things as safe as we can and, and as clean as we can and keep doing things the right way while also trying to maximize whatever revenue we can get at this point. And what kind of a draw, how, how big is your property? Uh, what do you mean? How big is the restaurant? How many seats you guys working with? Uh, so it's on, only on about, average. so it's about 40 seats, including the bar. Okay. So still, so pretty, so still pretty small. Yeah. And you guys yeah. have a full staff in there between making dough and, you know, with you guys making your pasta and doing all that stuff. Plus you have a bar and, and the whole nine yards. So, so how many people are working within the place right now? It's about five of us. So there's five of you guys that are in there on a daily basis. Are you guys, and you guys still running full menu from what you had before? Or have you guys made a pretty big adaption? Like, have you guys adapted? It's a, yeah, it's a very, very big uh, limited menu now. So basically, for example, from pizzas, we usually have about a little over 20 different pizzas to choose from. Now we have nine um, just because we couldn't keep getting all this product in and, you know, doing all this crazy stuff um, smoking pork for the Cubano pie, for example, we can't be doing all that stuff right now. So we've had to cut it back to kind of the most popular pizzas, um, being able to cross utilize product. Um, and then, you know, we've got, you know, three take and bake pasta options. You know, we've got Caesar salad kind of already done dressing on the side. You can take that. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all we can do at this point. And now are you, I mean, are you still finding yourself having the ability to be creative with what you're doing or are you just kind of surviving at this point? Um, so yeah, we definitely are. We're trying, I'm trying to do some fun things with the pasta, especially that's kind of, you know, my job is to just kind of focus on the pasta, obviously help out where needed, but, uh, my job is to kind of push that pasta program. And so, especially since we are so new, I didn't want to just kind of get comfortable and just, you know, I could do any pasta really and just sell it. But since we are so new and introducing new customers still to our concept and to the restaurant, um, you know, I don't want to miss out on still making a good impression. So having to be creative and, and still, you know, not just get stagnant is still important to me because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to miss out on that first impression, even if it is takeout. But it's also, 
It's a, it had a lot to say about the owners that they're like, all right, cool. You know, we got it. We're going to keep Ryan on with what he's doing because a lot of people would have, you know, we can make some pasta, throw it together, put it into go container. You know, but the fact that they're still keeping a kind of a creative force. Yeah, I'm thankful. I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm thankful for having a job still because, you know, really they could have said, all right, screw pasta. Let's just do pizza. You know, we don't exactly, need pasta right now. No-brainer. So exactly. So, yeah, I'm definitely very thankful for that. So are you still banging out five days a week or, I mean, are, are you, you know, I mean, are you, are you working oh, yeah, more no. or less now? I'm still about the same. I'm still working. So I've, I've, with this job, you know, I kind of took this job too, to kind of backtrack, um, this job from the, the past job that I had before Ironborn was a more fine dining restaurant here in Pittsburgh. Um, I was a sous chef there. Um, and I kind of took this job as a way to get some more work-life balance for myself. Um, I'm married, you know, my wife and I are trying to start a family and I wanted to be able to, you know, just be around more and, you know, yes, I'm still young in my career, but I don't want to, you know, miss out on things and I want to be able to still have a life, you know, um, and so this job and is really now allowed. you're quarantined. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and but, uh, stay home. Yeah, but this job <laughs> has allowed me to have that work-life balance. So even before this, I was only working a five-day work week. You know, still more than forty hours a week, but it wasn't sure. you know seventy, eighty-hour work weeks like like I was used to. Um, but yeah, during this, I'm still working five days a week, um, still forty-plus hours a week, which again. I'm not complaining about it at all because too many of my peers were laid off or, or working very minimally. So I'm just thankful for it. Is your wife the baker? Yeah. Well, so when we were at, when I had my restaurant, she was my pastry chef, um, which was definitely a interesting year being, you know, working that close with my wife for one year and, you know, kind of, it was definitely, uh, you know, some people can work together very well. Some people cannot. We found that we definitely cannot work that close to each other every single day, uh, which was a good thing to learn. <laughs> um, sure. So anyway, when we finished that, she kind of took a little pivot in the industry. And one of my old chefs uh, in Pittsburgh here, um, when he went on to open up his own restaurant, he ended up not opening up a restaurant ended up opening up a kind of chef driven ice cream company. Um, it's called Millie's here in Pittsburgh. It's, it's really incredible ice cream. Um, and so I reached out to him to see if he had any opportunities for my wife and he did. So she's now their director of retail operations. Um, unfortunately right now she's been laid off as well, but they're still doing a great job of taking care of her however they can and, you know, health insurance and, whatever they can do right now That's for her. They, they are so, which is nice. Got to get her to send me some ice cream, man. I definitely do. I got to get you some. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. incredible. Well, I got to get, I got to get back out to Pittsburgh cause I'm a huge fan of Pittsburgh, dude. Pittsburgh's like, great, I, don't, man. I, 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 I mean, I grew up, my mother's from Cleveland. Um, her childhood best friend, like kindergarten moved to Pittsburgh after she had gotten married. So, you know, whenever we would go to visit my grandparents out in Cleveland or my mother's side of the family out in Cleveland, there was always a stop in Pittsburgh. And yeah. I always loved Pittsburgh. I always thought it was just a super cool town. You know, I mean, Steel City, um, you know, the uh, uh, the energy. What's the name of the energy building? The big uh, the black. Energy, 
what's the building in the middle of the town? It's right above Burgatory or right above uh, that burger spot. There's like that square in the center of town. Marcus Square. The, the it, I guess so. I can't. Even, what's that? What's the big like marble building? Black marble building in the middle of Pittsburgh. Oh, the um, um, I'm blank on the name. I know what you're talking about. It's like the electric company or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, and those are kind of some of the things that I remember that I remember the fucking hills. Yeah, there's a lot. of Uh, You know, from when I was growing up as a kid, my cousin actually was a uh, an EDM DJ who threw raves. He blocked out. He actually pulled a permit and. Uh, and threw a rave in a tunnel telling them they were filming in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. No way. Years ago, DJ Johnny Blista. That was my, (laughs) that's my cousin. And he threw a huge party in the middle of Pittsburgh in a tunnel. It was like a huge rave. Um, (laughs) but in the last couple of years, I've actually been out there. I've spent some time out there. Uh, meat and potatoes was one of my favorite restaurants for, for a long time. Yeah. You know, meat and potatoes first started, they were awesome. That's who I was. So before Ironborn, I was working for the restaurant group that owns Meat Potatoes. I wasn't at Meat Potatoes, but uh, right, I was working for those guys. So, which which store? Where were you? Uh, so it was called Fish Nor Fowl. It was their newest restaurant. I was like part of the opening team. It was their more okay. fine dining restaurant. Got it. Because that and Taco. I mean, I still I love Taco. Tacos. I incredible. think they do a it's hell one of my job. favorites. They, dude, they crush it. They're they're so creative. The kitchen staff is such a a mixture of what you would expect to see in every kitchen only these guys are on full-blown they're in a showcase yep yeah it's they they do a great job kitchen right against the wall i mean they really do a nice job and then you know from bartenders to service to you know knowledge of the tequilas that they're holding in the back and um, all of that it was a really neat concept i i really enjoyed going out there and spending time there and then dianoia's is oh i mean it's great Dude, what a what a what a what a mix of professionalism, technique, and just genuine caring for the guest. They're the best. They people. do Dave such and a nice two job. Of my favorites. Yeah, they're great. Um, yeah, I really I, I've enjoyed my stays out there. Uh, the last bunch of times that I've been out, we had I don't know where we were. I went to some weird place last time I was up there. There was like a, sh- it was in the, on the South side. I heard okay. a gunshot next, you know, people are locking fucking doors. They're locking <laughs> in the restaurant. It's just a weird world. Then I ended up at a rugby bar later that night. Like, huh. you know, I just really had a, it's such a great mix of people. It is. Um, yeah. It's a great there. city. Hardworking people. Pittsburgh's a hardworking town, man. It is. You know, and yeah. it has been for a long time, as far back as I can remember. Yeah. So, so what's your, I mean, so what's your plan moving forward? I mean, you're, you're somebody of longevity, you know, you, yeah. you're, you're not a, you're not a six month guy role. Yeah. You know, you're going in, you're putting your time in, you know, you're with this company right now. They're obviously taking care of you. They're doing a nice job. I mean, you know, I, I mean, what do you, you know, and I don't want to put a timeline on something, but what are you looking at? Three years? I mean, what's your goal in the next five years as a young uh-huh. chef? What's your goal? You know, I've never really tried to put like a timeline or anything on in any job. I kind of just let them go naturally. And when if an opportunity comes up up and it's the right opportunity, I, I try to take it. Um, but with that said, I'm also very happy with where I'm at now. Um, you know, it's a really good job. It's you know, I'm happy with what I'm with what I'm doing. Um, but you know, ultimately, 
the goal is eventually to open up, you know, a, a pasta focused restaurant, uh, most likely here in Pittsburgh, just because I have the roots here in Pittsburgh now. And, you know, I'm starting to, you know, make some really, really great connections and, and have those connections available to me. Um, so, you know, I think ultimately five years from now, I'd like to, you know, have that place of my own, you know, more on the smaller side, a um, little bit more casual, but, you know, just really, really great handmade pasta done at a high level. Um, and just something that a place where, you know, you want to come every day and just have a great bowl of pasta, you know? Yeah. There's something so comforting about that, dude. So simple, so basic that I love. Yeah. And I mean, it's crazy. And because, so much technique. Yeah. And it's wild because, you know, for a while when I was just, you know, you know, a few years ago, I thought that it was fine dining was what I wanted to do. And that was right. all I was obsessed with was fine dining, fine dining, Michelin, Michelin. And I still, you know, enjoy that. And I appreciate that and respect that for what it is. Um, but I think that that's just not really the route that is meant for me. It's not really what I want to do. Um, you know, there's still a lot of respect for that and for, you know, the chefs that do that. But I think there's also a lot of respect for, you know, chefs that are able to do something, you know, that is simple, quote unquote, simple, um, yet done at a very high level. Yeah. Well, Vetri just opened up his little spot in Philly. I saw it, man. Which it looks is, incredible. I think 12 or 14 seats. Yeah. You know, and that's it. That's yeah. Your spot. It, it looks, Not a it looks great. Yeah. But you got that right. Um and uh I believe Nick Elm is Nick oh, is it Nick Elmy who's doing he's got the pasta place as well. That sounds sounds about right. Do yeah. you get over here much? Not much, man. So I'm originally from Eastern PA. I'm from Reading. Um Oh, nice. Yeah. So I get home to see family every now and then, but I don't get to Philly as much as I wish I as much as I wish I could. A few months ago we came into town. Um for a concert I took my wife to in, in Philly and we ended up going to dinner beforehand at, uh, Forsythia. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Dude, we've got, I mean, Philly is just, it's just exploding. We've got such we, amazing chefs and restaurateurs and, and properties that are out here now. I mean, these, even some of these tiny little understated places are just exploding right now. Yeah. When we came in, we really wanted to go to Zahav and everyone told us just, you know, yeah. show up at five o'clock at a seat at the bar. And we walked up and it was one day there was a sign on the door that they were doing like routine maintenance or something. So they were closed for the night. And oh, I was like, shit. Yo. So we just missed out. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a, he's a very talented individual. Yeah. Um, and is. really puts, you know, the heart and, 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 you know, I, I think that what we're seeing now with chefs more is really the heart of what they're cooking. Sure. As a, as opposed to, you know, I think there was a lot of creativity before, but I really feel that we're seeing we're 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 seeing what a chef is feeling these days in their cooking. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at the story yep. of Solomonov of what he's done and where he's come from and the history of of his life and and the the concept of Zahav and and what he's done and it's it's heart based yeah you know and, and nostalgic for him with so many different levels of things which is so much fun to watch 
Yeah. And there's a lot of chefs that are doing it that way right now. And it's great to see, you know, the fact that we can open up and, 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 and in reality, put our heart on our sleeves, you yeah, know, exactly. And, and, and then throw that onto a plate, which is always a really cool thing to see. So it's neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we'll do it next time I'm out in Pittsburgh and not in a pandemic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make sure that we connect and, and that, uh, you know, we get to at least grab a beer and, and grab a bite to eat somewhere. So um, I, yeah, I, I try to get to Pittsburgh because it's it's honestly, it's like a little vacation for me. It's a five hour drive west. Great yep. thought time in the car. Great way to, you know, uh, get get phone calls in and get some organization done and, you know, get out there and in reality, have a couple, you know, hang out with, you know, hang out with Spencer Warren and, and go to some fun little bars and for sure uh, you know and then and then grab some good grub at the same time so i'll definitely make sure that next time i'm out there we uh we have an opportunity yeah please do so. absolutely love yeah. it yeah um well dude thanks so much for hopping on with us i really appreciate it this was a, absolutely this was a good, thank uh, you kind of calm episode yeah for sure so I once you tell everybody key largo <laughs> dude that's just the weirdest thing man i can't believe it it's wild i mean that was i was i was standing i was leaving in like four days I want to say to go down there and she was standing in front of me, this beautiful girl uh, who didn't have ID. She's like, I, you know what? I don't even give a shit. My parents are, are just bought a bar in Key Largo and I'm moving down there tomorrow to be a manager. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to ocean reef club in like a week to go down and interview. And I remember her being like, fuck that. We're looking for a sous chef in the restaurant. That's crazy. Small and I was world. like, that's so weird. And that's where I ended up working. Yeah. That was pretty wild. It's wild. Yeah. But all right, so. brother. Well, Ryan, do us a favor. Tell us who you are and uh, how people can get in contact with you and follow you and all that. Because your Instagram's awesome, man. I mean, you've got, you know, I mean, I love your pictures. I love the style and the way that you put stuff up there. And Thanks, um, man. yeah, it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah. So. so again, my name is Ryan Peters. Um, best way is Instagram at Ryan Peters PGH. Um, also I'd recommend checking out Ironborn pizza on Instagram at Ironborn pizza. Um, and yeah, come check us out in Pittsburgh. Cool brother. Thanks for hopping on and thanks for your time, dude. I look forward yeah, to seeing man. you. Thank you. Thanks Cheers, man. Dude. Be safe. See you. Adios. <clears throat> That's, uh, so Ryan Peters, cheers, man. That was, uh, I appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, you know, those are, those are some of the great chef stories that I love. I, I think, that the backstory of where people, you know, how they got to what they're doing today is such a, a, a varied path. You know, I mean, I know some guys that started out, especially when I was growing up, when I first started out in the industry, you know, I mean, there was a direct path into that. There wasn't. Yeah, there were the weirdos and the derelicts and the drug addicts and the, you know, all that stuff that were in the kitchens. But it was a little bit more in regards to the chef part of it of a direct line to getting into that part. You know, I mean, I remember working with some of the great French chefs that I've worked with that was the epitome of, of, of a great uh, externship was getting into one of these great French restaurants that were in Philly at that point. Le Bec Fan, uh, uh, The Four Seasons, um, Du Cheminet, uh, you know, I mean, these were places that were that you wanted to get into because of the lineage of a lot of the chefs that were running them. You know, I mean, you look at Philippe Chin, you look at Fritz Blanc, you look at George Perrier, you look at um, Jean-Marie Lacroix, the four, you know, some of these big masters that were that were, were running kitchens and these unbelievable operations in Philadelphia in the early 90s. 
you know, that started the footprint for where we are now, because a lot of the young chefs that were working with those guys at that point then branched out opened up their own little places or took over other places or became the chef at some of these other places, started to create their vision of what the food should be based on what they learned from these other guys. So, and now we look at where we are in Philly being such an unbelievable food town, but, uh, you know, following that lineage of a lot of those guys and how it's kind of taken its path, which is what I like about Ryan. You know, I love the incubator that he worked in at that point when he was up in Pittsburgh, when I had gotten to meet him, um, you know, with, with my buddy, with Chad Rosenthal. Uh, and then when we started, you know, I, I like the way that he kind of did his thing. You know, he went down to the Ocean Reef, he came back, you know, and then he went back down there again and spent three years down there working, staging, doing other stuff, you know, to, to be able to take advantage of that knowledge that they have down there for what they're doing is just brilliant. And for him to have the foresight at such a young age to really have a direction of what it is that he wants to do, but at the same time, be able to vary away from that and get out of that fine dining world, which has really taken a back seat to a lot of what it is that we see right now with comfort and, and with all of that. So it's kind of neat to see. So, Ryan, hey, man, cheers. Thanks so much for hopping on. Um, PA native right there, Ryan, being from Reading, ending up out in Pittsburgh and doing great stuff out there, going to school, um, all of that. Uh, cheers, man. Uh, really appreciate you being on. So thanks so much, Ryan, for hopping on. Uh, boys and girls, that's our show for the week. That's what we got. That's what we're going to do, and that's where we are. Um, Ryan Peters out there in Pittsburgh, I appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, we want to talk about the boys down there at Radio Influence who are in the middle of the pandemic, had to shut their studios down, but are still working with the likes of guys like me and the multitude of other podcasts that they have on a daily basis that they're still recording, they're still promoting, they're still posting, they're still rocking and rolling despite the limitations that we've all been given and doing a great job. Michelle out there, Techno Solution, who still uh, makes me smile on a daily basis with her um, creativity and her knowledge of things and how she'll just call me and be like, hey, I want to do something new. I want to switch your website up. Like she loves to play and her creativity is there. And, um, you know, I got an email from or a text from uh, my old partner and one of my clients uh, the other day who just texted me and said, Michelle is awesome. You know, and my response is, yes, she is. And then I replied back with, and what did she do? You know, I mean, there's just a never ending world of professionalism as well as a personal relationship that I enjoy having Michelle on a team and being on her her team. So check her out at Techno Solution. Maggie Gagli- Gagliardi, the creative force behind the caricatures and the promo pieces that we put out. I love you, lady. Go and follow her at Mags Art. That's my show for everybody for this week. Do me a favor. Wash your goddamn hands. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey gang, Jerry P. Tuck here, co-host of A Place for My Head. Each week, Brandon Thompson and I are going to be talking about the importance of mental health. We're going to be talking everything from stress, anxiety, different mental illnesses, different chronic illnesses, and frankly, the rigors of everyday life and how we all struggle to get through it. We're not medical professionals, but 
We are looking to start that conversation that needs to be had about the stigma around mental illness and how it affects us every single day. We'll talk to experts, but at the end of the day, a place for my head is all about real people with real stories about real life. Check out A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and myself, Jerry P. Tuck, each week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.